0: Welcome to the Bost Up Podcast, episode 382. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of BOSS Up, and today we are diving deep into financial feminism. What is it? How do you square those two concepts, or in the same book in this case? And how can we practice financial feminism by advocating for all that we are worth, specifically as it relates to negotiating your salary? Today, talking through these tough questions, quite frankly, that I had for her is author Tori Dunlap, who is an internationally recognized money and career expert and a podcast host. She is out with her brand new first book as of today called Financial Feminist, Overcome the Patriarchy's Bullshit. To master your money and build a life you love. After saving 100K at age 25 herself, Tori quit her corporate job in marketing and founded her first 100K to fight financial inequality and give women actionable resources to better their money. She's helped over 3 million women negotiate salary, pay off debt, build savings, and invest. And she's the host of the number one business podcast, Financial Feminist. Look, before we dive in, I want to acknowledge that I was feeling a little nervous about how this conversation was going to go. Because as someone who grew up in a financially unstable household that just really struggled when it came to not having the financial foundations that Tory, frankly, is advocating for us all to have, and as someone who's an activist and has a background in movement building work, I find it hard to just compare movement building, system change in a capitalist economy full of widespread inequality and uh, social injustice with something as simple as how to budget your way to financial freedom or how to, you know, save and invest to be good about getting your own bag. So I was a little, I would let's just say I was a little wary about how this was going to go. And I am so impressed with every answer Tori gave to this interview. So I'm curious to hear what you think of her whole approach to this concept she calls financial feminism. And I'm excited for you to get some really practical takeaways on how to negotiate a raise, a promotion, or a new job offer as best that you possibly can. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Tori, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm coming to you live from my childhood bedroom, which has been zhuzhed up with my mom's like, like portraits of flowers in the background. So if you get the (laughs) video of this, this is what this is the video. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, the
0: origin story then is a perfect place to start because so much of your journey sounds like it really started at home. Tell me how you got into the work that you do.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that was a perfect segue. Uh, My parents were really influential in teaching me about money. I thought that that was normal. I thought everybody has parents who know how to save money and uh, teach you how to manage a credit card responsibly. And I grew up thinking that was the case for everybody. And I graduated college and uh, started having conversations and of course realized that that wasn't the case and that that financial education was a privilege. And I graduated college in 2016, um, which was about five months, uh, of course, five months after Trump got elected. And I was mm. coming into and into adulthood, trying to figure out like the kind of person I wanted to be and the kind of woman I wanted to be. And of course, I was the friend all of my friends were coming to for financial advice and guidance. I was starting my career, um, navigating misogyny in in the workplace, f- trying to figure out. You know how do I build my own wealth so I have choices and I have options and the blog that later became her first 100k was born out of that. It was born in December of 2016. And so mm. I was working in nine to five in marketing, growing this blog on the side, uh, rebranded to her first 100k after talking about you know my origin story, which was trying to save hundred thousand dollars at age 25. Mm. I successfully completed that goal. Literally went to Italy to celebrate, got the call for Good Morning America, came home, did GMA, quit my job three weeks later, and the rest is history. So we're now a multi-million dollar financial education company. We have a team uh, spread out across the globe of 15 team members. Um, We have a podcast called Financial Feminist, and we have a book out soon called Financial Feminist. And so all of these things uh, have been extensions of my work of getting women to build their financial confidence, but beyond that of fighting the patriarchy by making them rich. Yeah. Very, very exciting. I think
0: so many of our listeners and myself included can relate to that desire to really be good feminists by first advocating for yourself and then yeah. advocating to dismantle the systems that really aid and abet, right? As you write about the the patriarchy writ large. That's a tough needle the threat, isn't it? It's especially when we weave capitalism in on all of this. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I absolutely want to get into practical and tactical negotiation tips with you. But I also just want to ask about how do we merge something as big as feminism and, and defeating the patriarchy with the capitalist reality that we're living in? So first, what does it mean to
1: you to be a financial feminist? Let's start there. Thank you for asking this question. Um, It is something I struggled with. It was the biggest struggle I had when I was writing the book because um, true feminism cannot exist under capitalism um, Mm -hmm. because capitalism, at least how we have interpreted it, is uh, inherently exploitative. And that's really difficult. Um, For me, financial feminism is designed as you bettering your money to better your own Mm -hmm. life and then by extension helping people with those resources. Mm -hmm. I talk about this all the time in the book. The thing about capitalism, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to win capitalism because okay. that means I have probably exploited somebody, right? R- if I right. have won capitalism, I have probably exploited somebody or stomped on somebody along the way. I also don't want to lose capitalism because mm. if I lose capitalism, well, that means deep suffering to myself and others, right? If yeah. I have chosen to not participate, I'm either like, doing the, uh, you know, compound in Alaska things that all of this Discovery Channel shows show us, which is a way, I guess, of avoiding capitalism. But for most people, the average people, you know, that's not sustainable. So it's like, how do I do the least harm, mm. take care of myself, put my oxygen mask on first, so that when I'm taken care of, I can then go help other people. That is yeah. the mission and the thesis of the entire movement of financial feminism and specifically my book financial feminist is i want to give you the tools that you need to control the things you can control yeah so that you can then go out and change the systems that exist for everybody else yeah because the truth is When you have money, you have options. You have the option to leave bad situations you don't want to be in anymore, whether that's a relationship or a job. You have the option to have children or not have children. You have the option to get married or not get married or to travel or to start a business or to donate to causes you believe in. Mm. All of these options open up to you when you have money. And I'm not talking Jeff Bezos money. I'm just talking like an emergency fund, right? Like enough money to give you a choice to be in a situation you want to be in rather than a situation you're forced to be in. Yeah, I think that is such an important thing to clarify
0: up front because you're you're at this intersection of personal financial education and sort of, you know, treading that line of saying a lot of people in your space um, do so in a terrible way, right? In a yes. victim-blaming way that I know we love to talk smack about Dave Ramsey around here. It's like, yeah, if we can't talk about financial empowerment without acknowledging that capitalism in and of itself makes being a feminist really really hard so i think that framework and around systemic choice. oppression right yeah yeah absolutely and
1: the the it shouldn't be as novel as it is but a lot of people have asked me like what makes you different or what makes your book yeah. different and i'm like the acknowledgement of systemic oppression right <laughs> like that shouldn't be a novel new thing but unfortunately it is because mm-hmm. the financial advice you may have gotten from you know ex-source and i think of you know dave ramsey being the most prominent pusher of this is that like if you are not rich it is your fault right Mm -hmm. if you are not rich it's because you didn't work hard enough if you are not rich Mm. it's because you buy quote-unquote frivolous things like lattes which don't even get me started about that i spent a whole chapter talking about how there's so much gendered language around how we spend our money right and the shame that comes with that spending so Mm. you can't have a conversation about money Mm-hmm. You can't have a conversation about budgeting or a Roth IRA without also talking about mm-hmm. systemic oppression because that is about 80%. Your personal choices are about 20%. Right. And so I
0: guess my my only conundrum that I'm left with is what do we advise? And since we're talking about negotiation and maximizing yeah. your own well-being and financial well-being chiefly, we don't want to lose capitalism, but what do you say to women who are poor, right? Like where does the poor woman who might be just getting by, right? Yep. As opposed to the success stories of I reallocated my, you know, excess take-home pay to, you know, yep. maximize my high yield savings account or whatever. Like what do we say to women who are just barely or not making ends meet? Like how does one start at the very beginning of that financial journey if if it feels like the cards are stacked against you?
1: This is the question that I spent years in writing the book, mm-hmm. like, Crying over, mulling over. I, it took me probably twelve different iterations to get my introduction to where I wanted it to be, because that was the question. If you are honest mm. to God, living paycheck to paycheck. Now, there's some people who are like, I live paycheck to paycheck, but you have a Netflix account. I'm like, that's not paycheck to paycheck, right? Right, like, right, right, Truly, do not have two nickels to rub together. Yeah, that is not a failure of personal choices, typically, but I would say vast majority, not a, not a failure of your personal choices. Mm. And the harsh truth is that my book or anybody else's book about personal finance is actually not going to help you and that's not because I'm not good at my job I'm damn good at my job but it is the realization that yeah. so much of the change that you have to um, that you have to see and build is not in your own life at an individual level it is policy change and government support and a, a radical um Adjustment to how we view marginalized groups in our society. Yeah. And how we protect or, frankly, don't protect marginalized groups in our society. Yeah. And that's what I struggled with because if you're picking this up and you have this desperate energy of, I need this book to fix my life, mm. the harsh reality is it will not fix your life. No actual book is going to fix your life unless it's a book where, you know, it's like all of the all sexism, racism is, is over. Here's how we combat that. But of course right. that book doesn't exist. So right. I think the the idea, right, is like, hopefully this book can help you in let's say a year or two years, or it will help the people who Maybe just need a tweak with their financial lives or do have some money but aren't sure what to do with it or are staying in a job that they know they're being undercompensated but they've just been told to, quote, be loyal and it'll pay off, right? That's who I hope this book can help because, frankly, that's the only people this book can help. And then, again, mission of financial feminism is once you're taken care of, your job then is to advocate for, to give money to, to lend a voice to all of the other people, who are not able to have their lives changed by the material in this book or by the material yeah. in our podcast?
0: I have so much respect for how you just answered those very tough questions that I lobbed mm-hmm. your way. Thank you. Uh, so the thank questions you. I've been
1: asking myself—it was the questions yeah. I've been asking myself because it, it's really uncomfy. It's like for me, it was—I literally got to the like rock bottom point where I was like, what, "Why would I write this book at all?" Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if none of it matters, like why do I write this book at all? And the truth is, well, you know, you hope you can change. Some lives, right? And if I can have an impact on some people, and those people can have an impact on others, and others, and others, right? It's the Mm -hmm. ripple effect. And it's the expectation. And I know we're going to talk about negotiation. That's the perfect example of like, you can prepare materials in a thoughtful way. You can have scripts, right? We give these in the book mm. of like how to prepare your negotiation, how to make sure that you are advocating for yourself in a you know, data-driven way. But beyond that, if you are in a company or in a society that does not want to give you money and compensate mm-hmm. you fairly, which we are, there's only so much of that conversation you can control. Mm-hmm. So we can't just tell you how to negotiate better. We can Mm -hmm. do that, but also we have to expect better of the company's organization's leadership to be receptive to those conversations in the first place. And frankly, to get to the point where you actually never have to have them because you're compensated fairly from jump.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I live in Denver, Colorado, a state that is leading the nation when it comes to pay transparency laws on the books, when it comes to family leave mandates on the books, right? My background in public yep. policy and movement building work informs everything we do here at Boss Up. And so I had to hold your feet to the fire on that because I, I, I think it's such an important, huge asterisk to say, look, feminism goes well beyond personal finance, obviously, but also systemic oppression can make advocating for yourself feel like an important first step, but it better not be the last step because we need systemic right. change and we need we we need real advocacy from people who have a foundation, right, of stability in order to be the best advocates we can be for systemic change. So couldn't agree more. Hallelujah. I'm in the same church. We're, we're taking taking this to church today and I just fully, fully agree with what you just said. Thank you for that. Um, so let's dive into negotiation. At Bossed Up, I True. always find myself saying we got to play the cards we've been dealt while we change the game, right? And so until every employer lists with perfect transparency the salary expectations on their job descriptions, which we're advocating for and which has become the law yep. of the land here in Colorado and places like California and the city of New York, until that happens, we've got to tread lightly, right? We've got to be careful about how we are advocating for ourselves to be sure we're compensated fairly. So it's the year end. A lot of folks are thinking about negotiating for raises and promotions or might be on the job search in the new year. How do we need to think about the mindset piece first when it comes to even – I don't know, kind of summoning the courage that women need to go in and get ready to ask
1: for more. What's your thought there? Love this question. Got a couple of thoughts. One, we are in the precipice. We're really in a recession at this point, right? It's kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. And one of the feedback uh, or one of the questions I got from a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, was like, but the company's struggling and it seems like a bad time to ask for a raise. Mm. There is never a good time to ask for a race. <laughs> and in that, every time is a good time to ask for a race. A company's um, well being, unless you literally, you're the CEO and you're in charge of the company's <laughs> well being, has nothing yeah. to do with you, right? And your job yeah. performance. You deserve to be compensated fairly no matter what's happening in the company or no matter what's happening in the world, right? Mm. Because you are contributing and it doesn't matter. Right. So that's first is a lot of the hesitation is like, it's a bad time, never a good time. And in that way, it's always a good time. The second thing Mm -hmm. we think negotiations are like unsheathing your sword and putting on your boxing gloves and fighting to the death to get what you want. That's not a negotiation. That's an argument, a conflict, a fight. Right. Right. Negotiations are collaborations, not conflicts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. Collaborations, not conflicts. You and your boss or potential boss are not on opposing teams. You're actually on the same team. You're on the same team trying to solve a problem, which is you not being compensated fairly. Mm-hmm. And I know you are good at solving problems. It makes you good at your job, right? So don't think of it as, oh, I got to fight to the death to get what I want, right? It is you and your boss or potential boss working together to solve the problem of you not being compensated fairly. Mm-hmm. The other mindset shift as well is that, especially if you're a woman, right, or a woman of color, this is like even worse, you are expected to be grateful for your opportunities. You're expected to be grateful and accept what's ever been given to you, right? Mm -hmm. And negotiation goes completely contrary to that, right? It's saying, hey, actually, I don't, I'm not happy with what I got and I want more. Mm. But we don't phrase it like that because we have to kind of play into the expectations, but then use those expectations to actually get what we want. So Mm -hmm. what I talk about a lot in the book and in our show is using gratitude as a way to like couch your ask, basically, of saying, I'm so excited to be here. I love the work that I'm doing. And I would, I'm so excited to contribute next year in these ways, in order to contribute in these ways, this is how I need to be
0: compensated. Right. I think it's an important thing to acknowledge, too. We just did an episode a couple of weeks back on the podcast here about gratitude and ambition. And those two things yes. can coexist. Like, you can be grateful for what you have and have ambitions for more, right? Those two things aren't at odds necessarily. It can be like, I'm so grateful for the experience I have here, for the ability to contribute to our team, for the amount of growth I've brought into this business. And I would like to see that hard work recognized, right? Like, I also have my own personal goals that I want to strive towards. And those two things are okay. Like, they feel like opposites, but they're not. And so I I think that's a really good moment to just acknowledge it's okay to be grateful and to want more. I think it's actually completely, really important that we we normalize that.
1: Completely agree. In terms of actionable things around negotiation, one, do not give a number first. (laughs) do not Thank give you, a number God. first. Yeah. The conversation you were saying one of one of the big things that we're working towards at Her First 100K is equipping the business to not just help people, you know, navigate these conversations, but also contribute to public policy and advocacy work. So right. we love seeing the transparency laws that are cropping up in a lot of states and cities that are requiring, right, the salary is between $55 and $65,000, right? Right. There's plenty of places out there that don't do that, and they'll do the classic like, "What is your desired salary requirements, right? Or what mm-hmm. what are you looking for in terms of salary?" The response to that is, "quote I think it's too early in the process for me to accurately price myself, but I would love to know your budget." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This does two things, right? Puts the ball in their court, and also showcases that you uh, you have the understanding that they should have a budget, and if they don't, they look they look frankly stupid. <laughs> Because there were some places that I would do, like I would be interviewing, and they go, Well, we're not really sure of our budget. Then why are you hiring this for this position? You have no idea what you want, right? Also, what a lack of financial stewardship. Like, who's running the the books over there? And in nine out of 10 cases, what would happen is that the person would go, Oh, yeah, sure, I'd love to give you a budget. And Mm -hmm. typically, that budget was 20 to 25% more what I was just about to price myself, Mm -hmm. right? And if they push back, well, one, um ask them why <laughs> ask them why they won't give them give you their budget mm-hmm. and two something to think about in all aspects of the interview process between negotiation but also if you're negotiating for a raise at your current job yeah this is like as much of you interviewing them as they're interviewing you and totally. if they get squirrely if they don't want to talk about money if they freak out right and they respond in a very like abrasive way like yeah. i don't know why you're asking this or like why are you asking for money money again you should just be grateful that tells you everything you need to know about your future at this company yeah major and red flags for sure and if they show you who they are believe them right what is it my right. angelou i think if they show you who they are believe them yeah. so that's that's partially why we also ask these kind of questions because they're hard questions to answer but they're asking you just as many hard questions. It's too early at this, at this time to, yeah, figure out uh, what my, my, my valued rate is. But I would love to know your budget. Totally. And I think it's
0: so interesting because I saw Claire Wasserman is in your book, right? You, you um, mm-hmm. from Ladies Get Paid. I had yeah, her on the fantastic. podcast a few years ago. And yes, she is fantastic. However, I asked her this question. And she said, I hate when people dodge That question. I, Mm. you know, I think it gets so awkward to dodge that question. That word really like triggers something in me. And I literally had some of our job search clients just last week say, I am getting so much grief from this company that I'm in the final stages of interviewing with. I'm doing everything you say to do, Emily. I'm following that exact script. And man, they seem really agitated with me. And a couple of our other job search clients piled on and said, "Every time I've ever tried to dodge this question, it's gotten really awkward." And I'm like, mm. "Like, first of all, let's talk about the price of an awkward conversation, right? Because we know that over the course of our lifetimes, women lose out on a million, at, it's a million on the million conservative side, right? In a terms million of dollars. income, yeah." yeah. Because we don't, if we don't do this, and so I said, "Listen, I'm having an existential crisis over here, thinking, am I giving people the wrong advice?" Because I've thought this the same thing. So... I've thought the same thing, right? And it's like, how terrible is it that employers are making us as individuals feel that way? And I stuck to my guns. I hopped on a coaching call with this client. Turns out, the person managing the hiring process was a C-suite executive who clearly had no HR training, had no standard Mm -hmm. practice in like hiring legality, much less best practices. And she stuck to her guns and they came back to her. She did not answer that question. She refused to give a salary number of her own. And when they came back, they had already increased their offer from what their proclaimed starting salary was by 8K. Always. So she came out on top. I felt very vindicated and you should too totally. because it's so worth it even if it is awkward. I would highly encourage us to be more willing to be awkward. right? Like, What yeah. would you say to the the advice to just name a number I anyway? Mean, just give it your best shot because that honestly is what Claire literally said on this podcast two years ago and I was sort of shocked.
1: Well, and I, I love Claire and I love her advice and uh, it's why she's featured in the book. I think for me, it, it comes back to, we, we quote, but get riches, which is this great financial blog in this chapter about negotiation. And, um, they basically say like, this is not the time to like do the County fair. How many jelly beans are in the jar bit? Like this Mm -hmm. is not the time for that. Um, this is your livelihood at stake and, and your, your job performance and you being compensated fairly. So the like number out of a hat, just throw, throw spaghetti at a wall. Like that's, Mm -hmm. this is not the time for that. If you are forced to give a number, right, we should have a general understanding of how we should be compensated. And that's through market research. And we talk about this again in the chapter is it's all about pitching to data-driven people what you should be getting paid. And you can't just pull a number out of the air or we'd all want a million dollars. So instead it's like, okay, based on the market research, based on the conversations I've had with colleagues, if I'm a social media marketer and I'm trying to figure out what I should be getting paid, who am I talking to? I'm talking to previous bosses. I'm talking to other social media managers that I know on LinkedIn. I'm talking to people I met at a networking event two years Mm -hmm. ago, right? Like I'm going and having those conversations and then being able to present that data. So I would avoid giving a number because Typically, this this question in general is meant to get you as cheap as possible, or they would just tell you the budget, right? Right. And then if you do get to a point where you have to give a number, you're giving your market rate, not your current salary, right? Not um, the salary you you dream and hope for. It is the current market rate that you should be getting compensated at based on other similar positions in your same scope of work with your same experience, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And, and we'll link to some related episodes we have on how to go about getting that information because it's hard sometimes. And having those conversations is really, truly a radical act of equality, right? And yes. pursuing equality. And, and asking men, women, we need to ask men what they're making too because this is an act of allyship for them to be transparent about their salaries. Otherwise, if women just ask women what we should be making, we'll all be getting the same You know, frankly, undervalued state. You know, averages, and it just perpetuates uh, gender wage gaps. So, I I know neither of our
1: target audiences are men, but men, if you are listening to this, it is your (laughs) responsibility to have these conversations. (laughs) And. For white yeah. women like myself, it is also our responsibility to tell our women of color colleagues how much we're getting paid, because yeah. there is a large pay discrepancy right between men and women. But then you break it down, of course, women of color make less than white women do. Mm-hmm. And for a Latina woman, I think we're at fifty-four dollars or fifty-four cents, excuse cents, me, to every man's yeah. dollar. So that, that's a that's a obligation. Again, with privilege comes responsibility. You have a responsibility Absolutely. to have these conversations. And we don't talk often enough about this, but
0: as a new mom myself to a one-year-old, I have to point out that if you really dive into the pay gap research, the vast majority of the gender pay gap is shouldered by women with kids. So 100%. we can't we can't feed into the mommy wars BS narrative of us versus them. We also need to make sure that moms and non-moms are talking about pay transparency, too, because there's a massive, terrible gap there, too. Couldn't agree so, more. Let's let's sort of round this out with one final question I have for you. I really like the list that you share in your book about all the different things you can negotiate. So even if you can't get what you're asking for in terms of base salary, what are the other negotiables that we should be thinking about when it comes to asking for a raise, a promotion, a new budget for something in the new year, or you're negotiating with a new prospective employer? How can we expand beyond the base salary alone.
1: So when we're thinking about what we're getting paid, it's not just the paycheck coming home, right? It's not the number on your check. It is what is our total compensation. And especially during times of economic volatility, negotiating for other things besides salary is a much easier ask, mm. but it still helps compensate you better. So, you know, things like your PTO, work from home or flexible work, health insurance, these are all things that are negotiable and pretty much everything is negotiable. My two favorite things to negotiate. One is a better title because that's no cost to your employer, but it sets you up better for your entire career. I was typically, Mm -hmm. when I was working as a marketer, either the only marketer at the company or the only social media marketer. So instead of maybe social media marketing manager, I could do head of social, right? Or even maybe head of marketing or marketing lead, right? And that's at no additional cost, hypothetically. It's the same job, but it sets me up better in the future. The other thing is what I like to call like an education or development stipend. It's like a couple thousand dollars, maybe even a couple hundred dollars a year. And it's for you to go to that conference or to take a course or maybe even to like go get a master's degree. There are still some companies who will pay you to get a master's degree. And of course, that's not only beneficial because they get a better employee. They get a more well-rounded, developed employee. But you get to carry that experience and that credential with you for your entire career.
0: Yeah. We're big fans of that at Bust Up because almost all of our clients here use their professional development funds to take our leadership development programs. And it makes a huge difference on not only your life and your skill set and your community and your experience of your work, but also to your point, it pads your resume, right? It sets you up for navigating whatever comes next. So my last tough question for you. Earlier, you alluded to we need to demand more of companies, right? Not just the individual. How are you feeling about negotiation as an employer now, right? This is, (laughs) we flipped the tables here. You've got 15 on your team now. How are you sort of walking the walk? And what do you want to see more small businesses do when it comes to handling the salary and comp
1: conversations, you know, in the ways that we should? Yeah, this is a great question, and one that, yeah, I've also, we've happened to navigate. One, we really do try to compensate people fairly where, you know, they don't feel like they have to have a negotiation conversation. We also give a range. It's not just like it's $80,000, take it or leave it. It's 85 to 95, right? Dependent on experience or something like that. I think the most powerful thing, literally, was talking about this with my two other execs. We had an executive retreat that ended yesterday. And we have some people who are coming to us and asking for raises, but they're not making a uh, a case that we feel is compelling because they're mm. not showing. Here's the value I've added, and here, mm. based on you know the raise I'm asking for, the additional value that I've add. We really feel like there's a gap that's happening between mm. the money that they're asking for, and actually, what they're doing is they're taking data and they're saying, "Hey, well, uh, people with you know this this job title are making this," and I'm like, "Yes, but." Right now, we don't see how you're fulfilling your current job requirements, right? Right. Or fulfilling the the current um, you know expectations of this role. And you also haven't outlined how. Okay, if we give you this amount of money, here's what additional work we're going to see or the different kinds of work, right? And so I think that that is one thing that uh, even as you know has changed my negotiation advice because now I'm on the other side of it. And I'm realizing like, oh, you have to put together a really compelling case of proving your value add and also proving, hey, when I get paid this, this is what I'll bring to the table in in exchange, basically. Um, So it's taught me a lot. Yeah, I think that's such a good perspective shift because I think
0: everyone listening should keep in mind when you're asking your current employer for a raise, you've already established and basically accepted your current salary as that initial offer you've agreed to right so it's it's slightly different right. than and ex- negotiating a with a new employer or a prospective employer in that you are doing this job X for that amount of salary y? So unless you work for a company, which is something we're trying to do here at Bust Up, that basically says, here's the growth path. Here's the difference in skill sets. Here's the difference in contributions. Here's what I need to see to get you up that level, which is really something that I think is like the gold standard of management, but really hard to pull off, to be honest. Unless you're working there, you have to make a very strong business case to your manager about how you're going above and beyond and how, you know, you are ready for that raise or promotion. And so we work with a lot of our women in our Level Up program to kind of get them ready for that promotion conversation and and start to advocate for that. But you're right. Like, you're looking at the dollars and cents on the profit and loss statement and knowing how a manager perceives your ask for more can really inform the advice we're giving and, and how to negotiate with your current employer. So that's so interesting to hear.
1: And it's also a good reminder for me of, you know, this is part of becoming a better entrepreneur and a better leader. Yeah. Um, You know, in the last six months, all of us who are at the executive level or who are in leadership are asking ourselves, how can we better give them a growth path, right? How can we better define their job description? How can we make sure that they have the tools they need to succeed? Because one makes their job a lot easier. They know what they need to do, they know how to, you know, excel and succeed. But Mm -hmm. also, we can very clearly say, if they are not doing this thing you can right. see it right it's very it's reflective it's like okay this is what yeah. our expectations are for you and you're not meeting those so right. that's a great reminder for us as well and it's been you know this is the part of growing the company that very few people talk about but the growing pains of not just like hiring yeah. people but developing them setting good and hopefully clear expectations and then also analyzing how how can you as a boss or a leader make sure that you're yeah. equipping your team with the necessary tools to succeed so that you know if they are coming to you you yeah. can very clearly say yep you're you're meeting these expectations or exceeding and these expectations you know we're not seeing from you so totally. it's always a good reminder for us too and we talk a lot about that on this podcast,
0: easier said than done. You, you know, it's like a, a craft in and of itself, people management on top of being an entrepreneur. Oh, Two yeah. Two very different <laughs> skills, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tori, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your, your your very candid answers to some tough questions I asked you here today. Where can our listeners find out more about
1: you and get their hands on your forthcoming book? Thank you for having me. And I appreciate these questions because, believe it or not, they're, of course, the questions I'm asking myself all the time too. Um, You can go to herfirst100k.com. You can follow us at herfirst100k on all the socials, herfirst r -R s t one zero zero k And we have both the Financial Feminist Podcast and the Financial Feminist Book. Book is called Financial Feminist Overcome the Patriarchy's to manage your money and build a life you love. And literally wherever you get your books, it is available.
0: Love it. We will put links to all those good things in today's show notes. Thank you again, Tori, for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank
1: you for having me. This was so fun. Thanks.
0: For more details and links to all the great resources that Tori and I talked about, head to bossedup.org episode 382. That's bossedup.org slash episode 382. And if you want more of a step-by-step approach to navigating every facet of negotiation, be sure to check out our free comprehensive negotiation guide at bossedup.org slash negotiation. And I am dying to hear what you thought of this interview. I had such a good time chatting with Tori. I'm so impressed with her very candid answers to some very tough questions I had for you. And I'm curious to hear what you thought. Let's keep the conversation going in the Boss Up Courage community or in our group on LinkedIn. And until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.